So welcome back to Big Feels at Work. Today's topic is, am I a total fraud in my job? Again, this, this came from a lot of different responses we got when we were designing this thing. People feeling in lots of different ways that they are a kind of imposter. Yes. So we'll start with you again, Gareth. What's one way that having your own big feelings can make you feel like a fraud or an imposter at work? I would say it's part of a bigger thing to kick off, like a, an enduring feeling of being an imposter as just, just a human being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it comes with the big feelings is that you always feel like a bit of a fraud in general. Yeah. Am I a viable human? Yes. Is a question yes. pumping yes. through your brain. Do I count? Mm. So that's, that's, that's the context. I guess some of it is, it comes back to something we spoke about in other episodes where we talked about there's this perception that once you kind of cross the line from service user to service provider, that somehow you magically know all the answers. <laughs> and, you know, you and I and, and you listening know that isn't the case, but yet there's still this illusion that, well, you should do, yeah. you should have the answers. Yeah, which is funny because the amount of us that go into this field, particularly studying something like psychology, because we want to get the answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember in my first first week, at, I did a psychology degree. And in the first week, we had a tutorial and they went around the room and asked everybody, you know, why have you chosen psychology? Because back in that time, you know, this was in, in the early 90s, it, it wasn't such a popular topic. And just about everybody was like, oh, I just want to understand myself a little bit better. And I'm sat there thinking, there's nobody here just to avoid work and smoke pot? Is, is it just me? Like, you know, are you all diligently on this self-improvement kick? Which avoiding work and smoking pot is definitely a self-improvement kick as well. Oh, completely. But yeah, I think some of it is this mythical place where we're meant to have the answers. And also even more so now, now we've got named roles, like you're the consumer advocate or advisor or peer support worker. You know, it's almost implied that you've got this kind of universal wisdom you know, particularly when you sit on committees like, okay, over to our lived experience subject matter expert. Yeah. You know, is this is this the right thing? And it's like, well, I don't know. I sometimes, it's a conversation. Sometimes things, those roles that I've had as being like, I'm the professional screw-up. <laughs> I'm here as the professional screw-up. Yeah. Speaking for all screw-ups, I'd say. <laughs> so, yeah. What about you? The enduring image I have on this one when I think about this, this imposter syndrome stuff is my suit i have i have one yeah, suit yeah. and i deploy it in my in work settings very strategically when i need to really bolster the image that i know what the hell i'm talking about <laughs> i'm aware this is a very gendered example but it has been kind of my go-to for warding off what i see as the kind of the assumed doubt so, uh, so for me, yeah. because I have mostly been in explicit consumer roles, I kind of assume everyone's thinking I'm a bit of a token. Yeah. It's the feeling of constantly having to prove myself mm. because people do know about my stuff. And so I've certainly had that over the years. And I have found just recently I've started to let it go. I've, I've reached a point where I'll turn half, up. Half a suit. Oh, just <laughs> puff a jacket, uh, you know, T-shirt even. And I've found that super freeing because it's, it's, it represents this kind of movement towards caring a little less about those projected doubts and judgments. Yeah. And I think that's because finally in my mid to late 30s, I'm judging myself less. Nice. I'm starting to think, oh, yeah, I do 
kind of know what I'm talking about on certain subjects. Yeah. But that's been a long path. And it's been a long path in a system that doesn't really know how to recognize my skill and qualification. Mm. You know, we pay a little lip service to the idea of lived experience, but we don't know what the hell to do with it. You know, there's no career pathway. You have to find it for yourself. And that's true, you know, whether you're in a consumer role or on your own kind of track, say, in a clinical setting, but still wrestling with how how you bring your own stuff into the mix as a form of expertise without it being seen as a weakness or a or a failure. Yeah. So that's the that's the other context. So you start with the context of just as a human, you're always doubting yourself. <laughs> but the other context is in this setting, there's this kind of bedrock of doubt. Yeah, and there's something else actually that just made me me think of, and again, it's it's a wider issue. And I'd be interested if you had a similar experience. But it's very common when you've had these experiences that we call mental illness that at some point you reach the thorny perspective of insight. Oh, yeah. Are you using that word in all its weight and glory? Yeah, in its, in its clinical context as a technical term. And certainly from my experience, so my diagnosis was bipolar and I had periods on, on inpatient wards and being sectioned. Yeah. And what was held to me is really sort of legitimized gaslighting is what I would call it because yep. basically anything that they didn't agree with they would say well Gareth you clearly haven't got insight this is a <laughs> symptom of your disorder this is a symptom of your illness yeah. and you're just proving our point yep and it took me years it took me years to get beyond that and still does like I still have an element of self-doubt some of it's reasonably healthy because it allows me to sort of navigate life without medication and without too many constraints. Mm. But I think in the work, you know, you're in the context that taught you to doubt your own insight. Yes. So, yeah. That's exactly it. And touching on something we got into a little bit in the previous episode, it's also a context in which we're really feelings phobic. Like so much of mental health treatment seems to be designed to stop you feeling so much definitely so it's a context in which that not only that knowledge is is kind of minimized but the actual experience itself is kind of feared yeah so that's a it's a, a tough space in which to bring pride and and kind of uh, you know valuing the the messy learning you get i want to that makes me think of something there as well which is that i think part of the shift for me recently where I feel a little bit more comfortable with the fact that I do genuinely have something unique to offer mm. is is I think what rather than get to a place of suddenly having the answers what I've realized is that no one has the answers yeah I've realized that even the most storied senior clinician doesn't have the answers yeah. Yeah. And when you've gone through the system yourself, you know that in your bones. You're always looking for the answer and the answer will change every year. Yeah. There's strength in that. So on the one hand, it can make you doubt yourself and you think, oh, well, what, who, have I, who am I to offer anything yeah. to anyone? But on the other hand, there's a sense in which you've seen behind the game. Oh, definitely. Because the sector in which we work has to project an image of, of we know what we're doing. Yeah. And typically, I mean, again, be interested in your experience if when you talk to people who, who haven't either worked in this industry or experienced the services you know they've still got a very black and white health medical view of what we do 
Yep. Like, oh, so how do you cure people? Yep. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you're still thinking of cures. Holy moly. That's so <laughs> sort of early 19th century of you. How cute. Yeah. You know, and we all know it's nuanced. And even the people who work in it know it's nuanced. But this perception that there is an answer to be had yeah. makes everybody feel like a fraud. That's absolutely right. And we have this, again, it's sort of a dichotomy, right? You either question that or you double down. Mm. And so there are those of us who, you know, no judgment here, will double down and we'll have periods where we're convinced we know the answer. Mm. And I speak for myself, you know, there was a whole time where I was like, peer support is the only answer. That's yeah. it. Done. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> but for whatever reason, you know, you'll have periods where you really think you do have the answer. Yeah. But I guess what I'm saying here is that that doubt, that seed of doubt that you get, that, that questioning of yourself yeah. is, is, again, a real strength. Yeah. It's exactly what we need more of. We yeah, need more people in the sector who don't think they have the answer. Exactly. But true to the big feels sort of philosophy, are really happy to be around the people asking the same questions. Yes, that's right. Because so that's, that's a bravery, that's a vulnerability that, that isn't there. Because cause in the traditional way of doing things, you get to a place where you go, oh, I know what this is. This is treatment-resistant X diagnosis. Mm. So the answer is, there is no answer. Mm. Oh, well, that's that's kind of disappointing too. Mm. Whereas people with this perspective and people who feel things more strongly, even if you're not in a an explicit consumer or peer role, you know that the most important thing is to be amongst the questions. Yeah. You know that people finding their own answers and cobbling it together is the answer for them yeah but you're you're sort of swimming against the tide yeah so it it might be something that you choose to hold lightly it might not be something even that you explicitly share in your work with people or with your colleagues i think what we're describing is sort of an attitude it's a kind of it's a it's a willingness to not know yeah and recognizing that that's a key flavor of this this imposter feeling yeah. And a willingness to sit with the discomfort of that. Yeah. Which is sometimes easier than others. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Things we've heard a bit from different people in different roles. I've heard from a number of psychologists saying, I'm also losing my shit right now and I feel like a total fraud. Who am I to help these people? Mm. I've heard from people saying, I was in the ED myself last night. Now I need to go back to work and be a nurse and I can't tell anyone what's going on. Yeah. So there are these quite big experiences out there that are kind of fueling this feeling of, of being an imposter. I'm curious if you had any thoughts on, on those. It's a real tough place to be when you're both, you know, service user and service provider. When you're mm. both, you know, experiencing the fullness of this, this experience whilst being the person who, who should be helping as well. Yeah. To, to me, to me, that's almost like your qualification to do the work mm. you know and in fact some of the some of the things that were leveled against me particularly when i moved to new zealand because most of my experiences were back in the uk where i lived and grew up is like well you don't know because you, you're not going through it and there is a point i think and and this is why i feel like it's important we separate out lived experience from having used the service Go on. because there is a point at which you go yeah this this dysfunction that I experienced or interruption into my life mm. and was forced to use services is now a long time ago. Yeah. 
So sure, I don't actually know what it's like to be an impatient anymore. Yeah. You know, because things will have changed. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm not just as mad as I was then. I'm probably just better at working with it and not getting caught. Mm, yep, I can relate to that for sure. So in a way, <laughs> I'm just thinking those who are in the pickle right now yeah. and dragging themselves to work, which is something we'll talk a bit more in a few, about in a future episode. There's a kind of first-hand research element there. Definitely. <laughs> which doesn't make it any easier. No. <laughs> it is a painful form of research. I don't think you'd get an ethics approval <laughs> to do it on yourself. But here you are. Yeah. The first few years I worked in the sector, my crisis was very present. And then I had a long time of it being that thing that happened to me once. Yeah. And I got really comfortable with that. It's a lot easier to talk about. Yeah. And then I went crazy again. And I had a, a real ongoing and to this day ongoing just deep dive into crisis and despair that, that really, I think of it, it lives with me now. It's not lived experience, it's living experience. <laughs> and that has been harder to, I was going to say it's harder to bring to work. It's not because it's just there no matter what. It's harder to point to. Yeah. It's harder to acknowledge and, and live with because the thing is, and this is kind of where I want to go with this, so much of when you're a sensitive cat, when you feel sad or scared a lot of the time, so much of life is pretending and that can actually be really useful. Mm. So having a job to go to where you have to pretend, yeah. say you've been in the ED the night before, having something to go and do where you just get to be normal yeah. can be super helpful. Yeah. The challenge is, for, for a lot of people, that is in a space that doesn't have anything to do with, you know, if you work in some corporate job or, you, you know, like many people get to go and do that pretending well away from the topic of mental health. Yeah. We don't get to do that. Yeah. We have to pretend sometimes in the very same room as fellow professionals, as fellow service users, and that can feel like a fraudulent undertaking as well yeah and i think like if i'm reading you right it's like be at comfort with that like it's okay to go in there feeling fraudulent feeling like an imposter putting on you know a performance work drag yeah put it on your suit yeah you know i mean there's there's some yeah i kind of wax and wane on this whole idea of functional recovery but i certainly know that you know some of the most interesting times i've had in my work is when i have shown up while still feeling really in the soup mm. because it like you say there's that there's those periods of work where you go oh this happened and i've reflected on it and i've got you know some perspective on it that might be useful to you and then there's times like oh my god it's happening now it mm -hmm. is real yeah it's going on and i think you know as you said we'll talk about how you look after yourself in that space but there's some real profound stuff you know like i've come away from work situations you know in bits distressed crying up all night insomniac you know totally devastated by it but in those moments have really been able to access some of the most compelling motivation mm. to do this mm. to do it differently to be that change that i want to see yes and i would i would add to that so so there's that sense of which you can kind of motivate it can kind of carry you in a funny way, even though it's extremely uncomfortable. Mm. What I would say is that that's not the time to kind of storify and package your lived experience. And there's such a pressure in this sector. Those of us who work in explicit consumer roles, you know, to tell your story. Yeah. Have your story ready to tell. 
And those of us who work in, say, clinical or, or non-peer roles may may be out about it, may not, but may wonder you know, what they're supposed to do with it. And I guess I would say, particularly if it's a right now experience, mm. you don't do anything with it. It's not a product. It's just you. I really like that distinction between lived experience with the past tense and live experience. <laughs> you know, this is happening right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I mean, I've found, so, you know, a lot of the ways I work are pretty idiosyncratic, so I don't know how well they'll translate. But when I do talks, for instance... I'm so much better at it these days because it's because it's ongoing messy stuff. Yeah, and and I'm you know I'm very skillful with it. It's something I've been practicing for years. So I didn't used to be so good at it. There were certainly times in the past where, in that same scenario, I might be overwhelmed by my own shit and kind of end up having to you know kind of shut it down a bit. But these days I can draw on the raw nerve of it mm. in a way that genuinely connects with people. So I can see that strength of it for sure. But there's no obligation to do that. I guess no. that's what I'm getting at. No. Whatever role you're in, even if you're in a peer role, there's no, you know, you get to choose which, to, to what degree you pretend. And no matter what your job, no matter how out and proud you are and what, how many, you know, the word consumers in your title or whatever, you're still pretending. It's still work drag. It's still yeah. a role we play. Yeah. An authentic role. I like Alan Watts's bit on this. He's an old hippie Zen philosopher. He says, you know, I'm sincere, but I'm not serious. <laughs> <laughs> Which I quite like. You know, everything is a everything is a role we're playing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure we will get to to, to the to looking after yourself. But I I think it is so important when it is live experience rather than lived. Yes. When it's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we will. We'll touch on that in, in a future episode. So I guess to sort of sum up, what I like about where we've got to here is we can see the two sides of feeling like a fraud. You can feel like a fraud because you don't have all the answers and you think you're supposed to. But you can equally feel like a fraud because you've got your big messy life experience and you're not sharing it and you're not telling people mm. about it. It's like either way, you feel like a fraud. And I think <laughs> there's a big fat clue in that. And the clue is that maybe that feeling of being an imposter is kind of baked into the pie. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're spot on. <laughs> Do we want to give people a, a little something to try? Yeah, I think, I think this one's a really interesting one because it, it does depend on the role you've got mm-hmm. and, and to what extent you are out and proud or disclosed or not. I always think... You know, we talked about stories earlier. Like, I've got loads of ways of telling my story, and, and I use them for different purposes. And so maybe one of the things you might want to play with is finding an aspect of your story that you can share in a way that feels like you're sort of honouring yourself and you're being true to who you are but it isn't the whole gushing geyser of, and then, and after that, and the week after that, and, you know, the, the whole blood and guts of it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Names and dates may be changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've certainly, I've done the thing where um, I'll be sharing something that's happening right now, but I'm talking about it as if it was 10 years ago. <laughs> or someone else. A friend of mine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 All sincere, but um, yeah, different levels of detail. Yeah, and it might not even be specific. You might not even get into specifics, you know. It might even be, particularly if you're in a role that doesn't allow you or doesn't endorse, you know, an explicit telling of what happened for you. Mm. It could be, you know, 
sort of softer tones. Mm. You know, I know when I look for help, and mm-hmm. this kind of thing. And yeah. that, you know, that help might have been the crisis team, but it might also have been, you know, looking for a spiritual retreat to go on. The person doesn't know the actual nature of the topic. Yeah. It's more sort of the generics. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, that's us for this topic. Hope you join us again.